Every now and then, teachers gotta wing it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Like that time I tried to teach Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner without prepping for it. It was in the appendix of the edition of Frankenstein I was teaching and thought I'd read it with the class. After all, it's just a poem. (laughs) How hard could it be? (laughs) Well, I guess it could have been worse. I at least had a prep period after the first disastrous read of which I understood not a whole lot. I read it closely the next time, and after teaching it a few more times, I really began to appreciate its excellence. Because I don't want you to experience my shame, I am providing a Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner summary and analysis. For a side-by-side summary of the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, you can go to the show notes here, click on the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner summary PDF download. That way you won't have to face the shame that I did. Hey, this is Trent Lorcher, and welcome to the Teaching ELA podcast, where I help ELA teachers thrive in and out of the classroom. In this podcast, I discuss real teaching for real classrooms, whether it's a specific piece of literature, teaching strategy, or life strategy. I talk about things ELA teachers need. I promise that with each podcast episode, you'll have something you can use today. You can find this fantastic poetry lesson plan at ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com, along with dozens and dozens and dozens of others. It's in the show notes. Click on the link. You're going to love it. Best website. We're talking hundreds of poems broken down by someone who's read them, understands them, and has taught them. It is an ancient mariner, and he stoppeth one of three. By thy long gray beard and glittering eye, now wherefore stoppest thou me? The bridegroom's doors are open wide, and I am next of kin. The guests are met, the feast is set, mayest hear the merry din. He holds him with his skinny hand, there was a ship, quoth he. Hold off, unhand me, gray beard loon. soon's his hand dropped he. He holds him with his glittering eye. The wedding guest stood still, and listens like a three years child. The mariner hath his will. Again, this podcast isn't long enough to read the entire poem, but that's how it starts. You may want to have the poem handy as I summarize each part and analyze it. Speaking of summarizing the poem and analyzing it, let's talk about the two-minute lesson plan. Class is about to start and you need something right now, so here's the one thing you can put on the board right now so when the students come in, you'll be ready to roll. This is a simple two-column chart. No, left column, you're just writing a summary of each stanza. Stanza one, stanza two, stanza three. In the right column, you're writing a short. You're not. Your students are writing an analysis of each one. So let me give you some answers. We're going to start with part one summary. Three young men are about to enter a wedding when one of the three is accosted by a crazy old man who grabs one of the young men's arms and starts a story. The wedding guest frees his arm and calls the old mariner crazy as he attempts to catch up with his friends. The wedding guest becomes mesmerized by the mariner's eyes and is forced to listen. The mariner begins his story. He's on a ship that encounters a storm and is driven to the icy waters of Antarctica. The ship is stuck until an albatross approaches. It's a kind of bird. A path through the ice appears. A good wind shows up, and the albatross becomes friends with the crew. Inexplicably, the mariner shoots the albatross with his crossbow, and that's how Part one ends. So we have two elements of the Romantic period in literature that are prominent in part one of the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. One, fascination with the supernatural, and two, a reverence for nature. Samuel Taylor Coleridge was an early Romantic poet and close friends with fellow Romantic William Wordsworth. Wordsworth focused on the nature side of poetry, while Coleridge wrote often of supernatural occurrences. Elements of the supernatural in part one include the hypnotic eyes of the mariner, the entrance into a mystical world of ice and snow, 
and an albatross bringing good luck. A supernatural element pervades the entire poem. Much of this element involves a curse brought about after the mariner shoots the albatross. In part two, after the albatross is shot, things appear to be going well until they aren't. After reaching a good part of the ocean, the wind stops and the ship no longer moves. Without water, the crew becomes so thirsty they cannot speak. Weird things happen. Sailors dream about being haunted by the dead albatross. They hang the dead bird around the sailor's neck. And that's how part two ends. The superstitious sailors in part two first attribute the going away of the fog and favorable winds to the shooting of the bird. So at first they're like, sweet man, you shot the bird. Everything looks good. Then they attribute the stopping of the ship, supernatural occurrences, and incessant thirst to the shooting of the bird. The crew is therefore angry and punishes the mariner. So we have the fickle nature of sign-seeking here. At first, it was a good sign, then it was a bad sign. And this is, uh, this is redolent of life sometimes. When good things are happening we, happening, we attribute it to something. And then when bad things are happening, we attribute it to something. And quite often, it's a bunch of hogwash. Hogwash, I say. The mariner's wearing of the albatross is symbolic of his taking on the crew's pain and suffering. The expression, albatross around your neck has become an idiomatic expression that indicates someone has been burdened with guilt or past misdeeds and suffers because of it. All right, so we have parts one and two of the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner out of the way. They're past a weary time. Each throat was parched and glazed each eye. A weary time, a weary time, how glazed each weary eye. When looking westward, I beheld a something in the sky. And so begins part three of the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. All right, things really get strange in part three. A ship appears and the crew has to drink its own blood in order to speak. That's pretty thirsty. Turns out the ship is some kind of demonic skeleton ship crewed by two women, death and life and death, who are playing dice for the Mariner's soul. Life and death wins the Mariner. Death apparently wins the rest because they all drop dead, but not before giving the Mariner an eye curse. No one wants an eye curse, especially in a Coleridge poem. There's some serious supernatural stuff going on in part three. There's good reason to doubt the veracity of this tale, even beyond the fantastical nature of it. It's quite possible the Mariner is insane. I mean, anyone who stops a wedding guest and tells them a ridiculous story like this got to kind of be out there a little bit. It's also possible the narrator is hallucinating a common symptom of dehydration. So maybe he did. Maybe he hallucinated all this stuff because he's dehydrated. All right, on to part four. Strange things continue culminating in a bevy of colorful snakes, which fill the mariner with love. After experiencing this gush of love, the albatross falls from his neck and the mariner's ability to pray returns. A bevy of colored snakes, that's exciting. It is never specifically stated what prompts the mariner to kill the albatross and causes the curse, but it's pure love, the love of these sea creatures, that breaks the curse. You know, this is nothing but a love story between a man and multicolored sea creatures on a boat. All right, it's on to part five. Everything seems to be going well. The narrator gets water, wind comes, friendly friendly spirits inhabit the corpse of the crew and produce beautiful music. Then the narrator passes out, wakes up and hears voices talking about how the mariner needs to do more penance. <laughs> I'm like, wow, this must have been a special albatross because it seems like he's uh, been punished quite a bit. In part five, mercy and justice take center stage. Mercy is brought about after the mariner is filled with love for living things. But those who love the albatross aren't yet finished with their punishment. Love, mercy, justice. In part six, more supernatural occurrences make an appearance. 
At first, the Mariner ship is propelled at superhuman speed. The Mariner in a trance. How else is he going to survive it, right? When the ship slows down and the trance is removed, the dead men stand up and give the Mariner the evil eye, which I don't blame him because he's He killed him, apparently. The mariner is finally able to turn his head. The wind kicks up and he arrives at his home country, where he is met by three men in a rowboat. Apparently the mariner has suffered enough, or has he? He returns to his home port safely. In part seven, the mariner is rescued. Pilot's assistant, the pilot who rescues him, his assistant goes crazy. The mariner confesses to the hermit. He feels better. Every now and then as he travels the world, he feels a pressing need to tell the story. He knows exactly who needs to hear it. The wedding ends, the mariner leaves, the wedding guest leaves and wakes up the next morning sadder and wiser. In part seven, the mariner reveals himself as some wandering storyteller, bringing peace to his soul and trouble to the hearts of his listeners by telling his story. The moral of the tale is that love is the solution to all of one's problems. The mention of the wedding feast may be an allusion to the parable of the ten virgins. In the parable, those left out of the wedding feast are consigned to an awful fate. In this poem, however, the wedding guest hears an important tale. So what exactly is the wedding guest missing out on? What does he, why does he need to hear the Mariner's story? Heck, I don't know, do you? If you do, start your own podcast, please, and let me know. Thanks for listening to the Teaching ELA Podcast. For more teacher-ready, student-ready lesson plans, head on over to ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com. That's ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com, where we have hundreds of lesson plans and handouts that are ready to use right now. And as always, if this podcast has helped you thrive in the classroom, we'd appreciate a like and a review. 